how to spend the rest of your life. I have been reading a book about retirement in the last uh, couple of months, and I'm still trying to work my way through. I haven't finished it yet. Uh, but uh, in that book, it says that there's one concept that is more important than anything else if you're going to have a successful retirement. Uh, I don't know what you might think what that concept would be. Uh, a lot of people think about will they have enough income? Uh, some people think about will I have enough medical insurance? Uh, where am I going to live? Uh, all those things are very important. But in this book, at least, they say that's not the most important. Uh, the most important thing is to understand uh, retirement as a time of transition, one more in our life, and to figure out what's going to be the purpose of our life now from day of retirement forward. Because you see, uh, it's not enough to think that, well, when I retire, I'm going to enjoy my favorite hobby, fishing, hunting, whatever it might be, playing golf. I'm going to visit the grandkids. I'm going to take up painting. All the things that we wanted to do when we were working and we didn't have time, now we're going to do. This book says that's not enough. Because you see, a lot of people retire, especially men that have been very busy. They come home and they think, oh, at last, I don't have to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and go off to work, work hard all day, and come back tired. I can just sit at home and enjoy myself. And you know what happens to those kind of people? Some of you do know what happens. Uh, they go and sit down, they, especially if they sit in front of the TV and start to eat, and within about a year they have a serious health problem, and many of them end up dying uh, before they even finish out that first year of retirement. That's not real encouraging for us that are just uh, going into retirement. But uh, I find that interesting that it is important to understand what's going to be the purpose of my life uh, from now on. Um, if you want to turn your Bibles to Psalm 41. This is a psalm that I kind of rediscovered uh, uh, really, just before we came back to the U.S. And uh, the psalm talks about David, I believe. We're going to talk more about that. But David looking back over his life and thinking, well, now how am I going to live out the rest of my life? And we want to think about this psalm for us. How should we spend the rest of our life? Now, I know some of you are young, and you're thinking retirement's way off in the future. Uh, I've got lots of time. Uh, I would just say, first of all, that's probably not true. It's going to get a lot, it's going to arrive a lot faster than you think. But also, it's very important now to understand what should be your purpose in, in living. So um, let's just look at this psalm where David is kind of talking about how to, how to have a successful rest of your life. I'm going to read just some verses here, uh, starting with verse 1. Psalm 71, verse 1. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Rescue me and deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Uh, in verse 4. Deliver me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked. 
from the grasp of evil and cruel men. And then skipping down to verse 10, for my enemies speak against me, those who wait to kill me conspire together. And then verse 15 and 16, my mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long. Though I know not its measure, I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. And verse 18 and through 20. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. Your righteousness reaches to the skies, O God. You who have done great things, who, O God, is like you? Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. As I said, we think the author here is David. And uh, let me turn on my little machine here. Let me see if we can get the... Not working. Can you help me, guys? Okay. Give me the next one. Okay. Just, we'll stop it there for right now. David uh, is looking back over his life. Uh, we think it's David that's writing this because uh, the first verses here in Psalm 71 are also the same verses we find in Psalm 31. And um, uh, also, uh, uh, it, uh, the fact that he mentions uh, some of the other things that happened in his life. What I find interesting here in this psalm is the fact that he says in verse uh, uh, four, uh, wicked men are coming against me. Um, uh, verse 10, he mentions, uh, my enemies speak against me, those who wait to kill me conspire together. So David is an old man and yet he's not free of problems. He still has these people who want to do harm to him. So uh, uh, what we want to see from this is some attitudes that David has in the midst of conflict, in the midst of enemies, uh, he's still able to hang on to three attitudes which help him to be a success for the rest of his life, which is now just a small part of his entire life. And the first attitude we see here is an attitude of trust in an all-sufficient God. That comes from verse 1 and verse 3. Let's go back to those verses. In you, O Lord, I've taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Verse 3, be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Uh, as I said, David is facing enemies but he's looking back to what really is his source of confidence, and he calls it a refuge in verse one. In verse three, a rock of refuge. In verse seven, a strong refuge. Talking about his God as a place of protection, his God as a, a place where he can find rest from the attacks of his enemies. Um, verse three, he talks about his God being like a rock, being like a fortress, uh, and all those ideas have to do with protection. They have to do with finding a place uh, away from whatever is trying to attack us. And uh, probably most of us are thinking, well, we don't have any enemies, or at least uh, we don't have any, any 
enemies that are trying to kill us. Uh, but I would like to, to say that I think we do have enemies. We have enemies, maybe not in terms of people, but we have things. We have circumstances that attack us. Uh, all of us have faced the uncertainty of life through COVID in the last year and a half. Uh, some of you have faced the uncertainty of economic conditions. Some, perhaps some of you have lost jobs. Um, you've had family maybe who have lost jobs. Uh, you're in a family which probably is not perfect. That may come as a shock to you. But uh, uh, most of us don't come from families that are perfect. And so there's tensions, there's sometimes conflict. And uh, in all that situation, uh, we face our enemies. And the question for us is, where do we run, where do we go when we face those problems? Where do we go when we face uh, some kind of a physical limitation or, or a disease? Where do we go when there's no money? Uh, where do we go when there's conflict in our job, conflict in our family? Where's the first place we turn? Uh, very often, if we're talking about money, we think about how much is in our bank account, how much do we have saved up in our 401k. Um, for those of us that are older, we're thinking, well, someday I'll have Social Security, I'll have Medicare, and I praise God for all those things now. When you're younger, you don't think about it, but now that we have it, it's a good thing. Um, but isn't it true that when we face problems, our tendency is to trust in something else other than really the Lord? When we have to face a problem, we think about, well, what can I do to get out of this problem, to get away from it? We think on our feet, or we go and look for a friend, we look for a family member. And David is saying, when I have to face those situations, I trust in the God who is my strong place, my rock, whatever negative circumstances come into my life and shake my world, I can be calm and confident because God is my rock that does not move. Now I know we've heard all that and we understand that, but what I'm talking about this morning, in practice, what do we do? Where do we turn? How strong is our trust really in that God? Augustine, the great uh, church father of about the, uh, the uh, century five, I think it was. He said, what do you love? Is the deepest of all questions probing us in our heart of hearts, seen into the truest motive of our motivations. So the question I have for you this morning, what do you really love? What do you really trust in when push comes to shove? When there's physical problems, when there's economical problems, when there's uh, problems in the family, where is our trust? Where is our refuge? David is trying to say to us, you need to trust in the God who is a rock and is a fortress. Can you just, okay, good. You guys are on the ball. <laughs> I forget, because I'm used to uh, just punching it here, but thank you. So let's go to the next one, the second attitude that we find here, and it is found in verse eight. 
David says, my mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. Now I want you to remember where David is at when he makes that statement. He's being attacked by different kinds of enemies, uh, people that can really do harm to him physically. And we know from history that one of those enemies that he had was his own son. One thing that we have noticed in North America in this time, the number of situations in families where sons and daughters have turned against their parents and no longer speak to them. They've cut off all communication and they have become an enemy. I don't know if some of you are facing that, but that's a new thing, at least to me. And, uh, but it is a reality of what's happening in our world. David is facing enemies, and one of them was his own son. But he says in verse eight, my mouth is filled with your praise. Now he's not praising God because everything's going good. He's not praising God because he has a lot of physical blessings. He's praising God because of who God is. And I want to kind of take off on this. Uh, those of us that are older know that it's very easy for us to get negative and to complain about things. Just yesterday I was down at Smoking Dave's place and somebody walked in. I think it was his mom. Excuse me. Is, does this, is this going out over the public? Uh, I better be uh, careful what I say here. Anyway, I saw somebody come in who obviously was a family member and she was older and she was complaining and she was very negative and they had to talk to different peoples there, uh, people in the place to try to uh, calm her down. And I thought how common that is. And maybe sometimes I've done that to be negative and complaining. David is saying, I'm not gonna be like that. I have problems, I have enemies, but I'm gonna focus somewhere else. Uh, he says, I'm going to declare your splendor all day long. Declare your splendor. He's gonna talk about who God is and what God has done, but practically, how can we do that? How can we do that? Well, go with me down to verse 15. And David says, my mouth would tell of your righteousness. Righteousness just talks about God's holiness, talks about his justice, talks about his truth, his goodness. Uh, in an unjust world, David says, I'm gonna talk about my God who is just, who is holy, who is really good. And I want people to know what this God is really all about. I want to affirm who he is. Um, the world, of course, says this is good, this is just, this is truth, and we look at that and we say, well, now, wait a minute, 20 years ago, that was not good. 20 years ago, that was not called just. And I'm not so sure that this is really true, what you're saying. If we cannot look back to a God who is good and just and truthful, we're going to be lost. And David says, my God is a God of righteousness, and I'm going to talk about that God. Uh, verse 15 also says, I will tell of his salvation. Now, we're New Testament people, and so when we hear the word salvation, we think about salvation through the cross. We're saved from the penalty of sin, the bad things that we have done. 
We won't go to hell because Jesus died for our sin. Most of us understand that. But David is using salvation in the Old Testament sense, which simply means to be saved from some danger, something bad, and not necessarily the spiritual side that we have from the New Testament. So we have to understand salvation in a wider sense. But for us today that are looking uh, at things from the side of the cross, we're saved from the judgment of the results of our sin, but we're also saved from the power of sin. We're no longer under the power of that sinful nature that we had, and we're no longer uh, affected by all that happens in our sinful world system. Now, I know we live in a sinful world. A lot of things happen out there. If there's some guy going down the road 75 miles an hour drunk and he can hit our car and we can have some really bad effects, that's part of sin in this world. But God protects his children from a lot of those effects so that we are not like anybody else out there in the world. We're saved from the power of sin. We're saved from the effects of evil in our world. And many of us can even talk about times of divine protection when God's hand was over us in a physical way and we got away from uh, not being involved in a real serious accident. Um, just on this home assignment, we were, I can't remember where it was, but I was coming down the highway. I could see somebody coming with the on-ramp and there was a truck and I was passing the truck and pulling in in front of the truck but this lady was coming in on the in-ramp and she just, ah, it was in Detroit area, of course, now I remember. Uh, and she just came on in and she hit her horn to let me know that I had to put on the brakes because she needed to get in there ahead of that truck. If I would not have seen, and I didn't see her until the last minute, just, you know, that's, I just saw it out of the corner of my eye, but that close, we almost had a, a good head-on collision, but God protected us there and so I'm here today talking to you. But many of you can talk about cases like that where God's hand has protected, he has saved us from some situation. Uh, I'd like to suggest to you this morning, if you don't fully understand what you've been saved from, not just saved from hell, but saved from the power of sin, saved from the effects of sin, and many times the actual protection, physical protection of God. If you don't understand all of that, your praise of God is gonna be less. You're gonna have a little God and you're gonna think, well, you know, what has God done for me? I prayed for somebody who was sick and they didn't get better. I prayed for a job, I didn't get a job. What good is God? Now I know we won't say it quite that crudely, but sometimes in our minds, those things happen. And David says, I'm gonna, talk about this salvation, what God has done to really save me. And then he goes on in verse 16 and talks about God's mighty acts. Now, when in the Old Testament, when they talk about mighty acts, it's something that God does in history, something that he does specially outside of the normal flow of things. And the big mighty act that we find in the Old Testament is the exodus and the preservation of Israel as, as a nation. In the New Testament, it's the resurrection, the ascension, the mighty acts of God that go against what nature normally would, would say. Uh, but in our lives, 
Think in your own life, what's the mighty act of God that God has done in the last year, in the last two years? You might have to stop and think a little bit. But all of us have come through circumstances. We've lived a life. And today we are where we are by the grace of God. That's a mighty act of God. Lydia and I often talk about, as we think about our other family members and friends that we're going to school with and where they're at now, some of them aren't here anymore because they had bad lifestyle choices. And we say, thank you, Lord, not because we were so disciplined and so good. God was good to us, and he did a mighty act in our life. And David says, I'm not going to forget that. I'm going to talk about that to others uh, so that uh, people can understand what that God is like. Uh, moving ahead, where are we at? Are you following me? Let's go to the next one. Uh, Psalm 96. And thank you, by the way, you're doing a good, what's your name? Danny. Danny? Daniel. Andy. 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 I'm an old guy. I have hearing aids, actually, really. I just got them about a month ago, but I'm not used to wearing them. and I forgot them this morning, so forgive me. Andy, Andy, is that right? Okay, 96, Psalm 96, verse 3, says this, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. This is another way of saying what David is saying in Psalm 71, that all of this that we know about God, we need to be declaring to the nations. And when he talks about nations, he's not just thinking about the United States, Mexico, Guatemala, whatever, Cuba. He's thinking about groups of people, different linguistic groups, different uh, ethnic groups, and all those people need to understand who this God is. Um, yes, very good. In our world, they say there are 7.9 billion people. You know, how do you get your mind around that? I can't understand that. But of those 7.9 billion people, 3.14 billion have not really, or are not in a position to hear the most basic gospel message. Now, I'm not talking about people here in Maine that maybe live in South Paris. They're, they're not church people. They don't understand the gospel. People here in Maine, no matter where they're at, the gospel is available. They can find it. They can get it. This 3.14 billion people are those who live in areas where there are no believers or very, very few believers. There's no Bible. There's no Christian radio program. There's no nothing. 3.14 billion is this many times the population of the U.S. Ten times the whole population of the U.S. That's how many people are far away from hearing what the gospel is really about. And those are the people where we have to go and declare God's glory. Declare what God has done and one of his mighty acts is what Christ did on the cross for us. And those people don't know about it yet. And that's why we need to go. And that's why we continue to uh, work overseas. It's not that we're against living in the U.S., but we just see that there's so much more need in other countries 
and we want to be a part of what God is doing. Uh, just a little point here before we leave this, uh, this attitude of praise, it isn't just so that we feel good, it isn't just so that we're happy, this is all about declaring God to the nations so that they can understand who that God is and they can come into fellowship with him. As we do that, we will feel good. We will feel happy. But the purpose is not just, I will praise God because then I'll feel better and I'll have a better day. No, if you're looking at it from that standpoint, you don't, you don't understand what David is saying. David is saying, I'm gonna praise him for his righteousness. I'm gonna praise him for what he's done. And I'm gonna do that because of who he is and because others need to hear what God is and what he has done. So we move on to the third attitude found in verse 18 and verse 20. David has a purpose. We all have a purpose in life. Uh, you have a purpose. You may not be able to say exactly what that is, but you do have a purpose. But David is saying here, you need to have a God purpose, a purpose that is focused in on what God wants you to do and he says in verse 18, what he wants to do is, let's go back to the Psalm 71. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation. I like David. He's not trying to deny reality. As we get older, you know, time is one of those things you can't stop. It happens, you know. Uh, some of us have less hair. Some of us that have hair, it's turned colors. And our bodies, you know, those of you that are older understand this is just not quite the same, don't have quite the same strength. And David says, I'm there, I understand all that. But before I leave this life, I have one thing I wanna do. I wanna declare God's power to the next generation. There's a whole nother generation coming on the scene. They don't, they haven't experienced God like I did in killing Goliath and, and winning over my enemies and seeing God uh, uh, build up this nation. They haven't seen all that. And I want to tell them what God has done and what he can do now. Uh, as we were singing the hymns, the first part of this service, I thought back, you know, I have a long, I've been a Christian since I was 10. I'm now 74, so I've about 64 years of experience in the church. And I can remember times when the church was enthusiastic, when people would come, you know, different styles. I'm not saying we have to do it this way now, but we would have evangelistic services. People would come up front, they would cry, they would repent, lives would be changed. Uh, there was some real serious stuff that went on there. And now our churches are pretty, you know, they're pretty respectable. Uh, not too much goes on in terms of a lot of emotion. And uh, the younger generation can easily think, well, yeah, they're talking a lot about God and Jesus, but I don't see too much happening. You know, lives being changed. I don't see, you know, what, what's this all about? And David is saying, I want this next generation to really understand that the God I talk about, the God who is my God, he's still around, he's still alive, he's still active, he's still powerful to change lives. Uh, it's the same God that he describes in verse three, verse 15, verse 16, 
but he has a real passion to communicate this to the next generation. I thank the Lord, I should say we thank the Lord for the people that uh, God has allowed us to touch. They're all younger people, of course, not too many people that are our age still in ministry. Uh, so we thank the Lord for uh, these younger people. Uh, some of them are Gabriel, who's leading a growing church in Montevideo, uh, very enthusiastic, very musician kind of guy. Uh, Nicholas, who is in Argentina, just got married the other year uh, during COVID. He and his wife are uh, getting ready to go to Peru to prepare to be uh, Bible translators, eventually with uh, uh, a group that is like a, a branch of Wycliffe. Uh, Carolina, who is an English teacher and uh, is getting ready to go to a country in the Middle East and working there with uh, Iranian refugees. Uh, Alvaro, who was in Central Asia and had to come back to Brazil with his Brazilian wife, but they're hoping to return to Central Asia as the government there allows them. Uh, so we have been able to work with some of these kinds of people. So we thank God that those kind of people understand that God is still active and his power is still real. Um, Recently, in some of our travels uh, out west, we were in Denver, and we had a chance to visit with a former boss of ours. He had been a missionary in Brazil. Uh, he, for, because of his personality, he could have been Brazilian, but after being 15 years in Brazil, he was even more so uh, Brazilian. So very enthusiastic, enjoys good food, uh, likes good coffee, uh, but also a very uh, good evangelist. And uh, uh, in the past year, he's had a, a serious physical problem. They don't really know what it is, uh, but it's, is that our time limit? No. Okay. I'm waiting for the floor to open up here. I'm sorry, I kind of, kind of ruined that. Uh. But anyway, uh, he has a very serious problem and uh, produces a lot of pain. Uh, he's taking a painkiller, which does help, but uh, he has to keep taking more and more of this painkiller to be able to withstand the pain. They go back to Brazil, he and his wife, uh, once a year for about two months and uh, work in the slums of uh, Sao Paulo. And uh, he helps start a group of nationals, Brazilians, that are working there. And so he, he goes back to kind of encourage them. So he's working with that next generation. But he just told me before uh, we said goodbye to him, he said, uh, Bob, I only want to finish my life giving my all to reach others for Christ. Uh, you know, I don't care where I die, but I just want to do that for the Lord. Uh, doesn't matter what's happening with my body. I see in Ken's life that uh, example of somebody who really wants to declare God's glory wherever until the end. And um, that's what I would desire for Lydia and I. That's what I would desire for each one of you. And so let's just go on. Yeah. Let's just think about you now and how you are going to spend the rest of your life because you have from 
this day and forward, however much time God's going to give you. And we don't know. I was telling the pastor, uh, my nephew's father-in-law just passed away from COVID. Uh, very active with Word of Life, very being used uh, with the Bible Institute in Hungary and in other places around the world. He got COVID two weeks ago, and today he's with the Lord. We don't know how much time we're going to have. Uh, so let's go to the, the attitudes that we should have. First of all, an attitude of trust in an all-sovereign God who makes no mistakes. So my question is, where is your trust this morning? Really? I, you know, I know we say, I trust in the Lord. But when push comes to shove, who do you really trust in? Uh, second, an attitude of praise for who God is and what he has done. In spite of all the problems in your life, are you focused on God and not focused on the negative? Are you focused on what God has done for you and not perhaps on what you don't have? And then finally, an attitude of a God purpose. Do you understand clearly what God wants you to do to help declare his glory to the nations? And I'm not trying to say here this morning that everybody should go overseas and serve. I think a lot more people should than do, but you're the only one that can say exactly what God wants you to do. But that God purpose, what are you doing to help communicate the message to the nations. There are many, many ways in today's world to do that. Uh, with the internet now, you can have FaceTime with people in another country just as easy as we can do it right there. So we thank you, South Paris. We thank you for allowing us to be your representatives there in Argentina and Uruguay. Thank you for uh, giving us the finances to do that, for praying for us. But we, we hope you will not stop just with us. We hope you will continue to help others to go out, younger missionaries that want to go out, perhaps some older people that say, I feel like God's calling me to go here or there. Get behind them, encourage them. There's many ways of encouraging people, not just with money, but with uh, just talking with them and praying for them. I ask that you as a church don't forget what you've done in the past and look to the future to see what more you can do. And for you young people to consider what does God want me to do? There's so much happening out there, so many exciting things that God is doing. Don't just wait back here. Get involved in what God is doing and I would really encourage you to consider this trip to Guatemala, a great way to get uh, in contact with, with missions. So thank you, and uh, hopefully this little bit of review from Psalm 71 will help you to clarify your attitudes for the rest of your life. Let's pray. Lord, I give you thanks for what David said here in the psalm. I give you thanks that he was a man after your own heart, that he wanted to follow you in spite of all his failures and in spite of the problems he had in his life. And you did use him, and you used him long after he was gone to talk about your power and to explain uh, your glory 
uh, to the, those other generations. I pray that in this church, Father, you would raise up many, many people who went to leave Maine and go out to the nations who still don't understand the gospel to use their gifts, to use their talents for you, Father. And that someday in the future, we can all gather together and say, oh, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you that in spite of our limitations, you have done such a great thing in building your church through us. We give you thanks for this. In Jesus' name, amen.